Welcome to this episode of Season 6 of The Versatile Writer, the podcast that aims to provide help and support for like-minded writers. This week's episode looks at story analysis. Recently I completed a novel that had several layers within it. By layers, I'm referring to all the parts that connect in order to create the novel with an interesting plot, subplot, strong characters and structure. Those are just the subheadings, really, of what was involved, but we have to start somewhere, don't we? It's worth mentioning now that there are some major spoilers of the novel that I'm talking about within this episode. So if you don't want to know what happens within my novel in a detailed level, maybe skip this episode until you've read the story. You can find it on Amazon. It's called Dream State, and my writing name is S.J. Bannum. Sincere thanks in advance for purchasing a copy if you do. And do write a hopefully positive review afterwards for me, please. Okay, I'm going to presume that those who didn't want to hear the major spoilers have gone now. If not, you were warned. So, as is typical with me, I added extra challenges during the writing. For instance, I used both UK English and American English, a potentially complex story that had to be dissected for me to understand what was going on. And finally, a focused mind to glue it all together to create a structure that not only worked, but also created tension. So that's what this week's episode is about. It might get dirty, so let's roll up our sleeves and get to it. My hope at the end of this is to A, analyse the story so I understood its creation, and B, allow you to do the same by applying my experience to your stories. Who knows? You might even want to find out more about my book, too. Here's hoping. So, story analysis. The story was called Dream State. As I've said countless times on this platform and others, it was a short story that I wrote nearly a decade ago that was incomplete. I fished it out of my documents last summer after I finished my degree. I needed something to get my teeth into and saw this story, read it, and reread it and realised it was just an elaborate outline of what it could be. There were lots of questions raised, but not many answered. At that point, it was an incredibly complex story with underdeveloped characters, two plots that were inexplicably connected and a mess of notes. However, now I can tell you, at its nuts and bolts, it's a story about an author who falls into a coma and lives, in inverted commas, her character's life to get the right ending for the novel. At a deeper level... It tells the story of Delilah McAllister, an overworked author, whose argument with her agent, Ruth Trent, sends her out into the cold and wet country lanes of a London road only to crash into artist Ben Christopher. The accident leaves Ben with broken bones, but Lila in a coma. Keeping with the car theme, from there the story takes two routes to its destination. Firstly, it focuses on Katie Cambridge, the Boston waitress who Lila's been writing about for three months. Her life isn't going to plan. Katie is losing the plot, literally, and her love interest, Jack Sullivan, has just broken up with her. Indeed, that's right where we meet Katie, where Jack has given her the bad news. Over the phone, of course. Jack's full of class. Of course it didn't go well, but the shock of it makes Katie collapse. And, being at work, she takes a huge trolley of plates and silverware down with her, injured her co-workers Cheryl, the single mum and straight-talking New Yorker, and the diner's owner, Drew Denby, see about applying first aid to her injuries. 
As we discover quite soon, unbeknown to Katie, Drew has been in love with her since she walked into the diner two years prior. So instantly we discover that there's some tension and a little frustration going on. That's the Katie and Drew story, the main plot. Secondly, the subplot, there's another romance on the cards and it focuses on Lila's sister, English teacher Becca McAllister and the artist Ben Christopher, Lila crashed into. The two romances are quite different because each of the characters are quite different but they all take place simultaneously through Lila as a conduit. Each romance influences the other as they run in parallel and both lead up to Christmas, one in London and the other in Boston, Massachusetts. Each story has a hero and a heroine, a baddie come shapeshifter, a guardian and a mentor. And both stories are written in their respective languages, US English and UK English. Lastly, both stories are interweaved chapter by chapter through the 95,000 word novel. This is the longest novel I've ever written. I've actually pared it down from 105,000 words to the 95,000 mark through its second edit before it went off to five beta readers in England and America. It was also the most challenging to write to date, though this was mostly down to the two stories intertwining, but also down to what kind of structure was I going to take for this novel. The practicalities were important because I felt I had options with the structure. I could have written one story, then the other, and the two looking quite separate within the book that sat in your hands. As in, read one story, then there's a gap, and potentially a sequel or just another story. This would have left the reader to put the two together in their minds, but it meant they would read one first, and maybe not even bother to read the other. Or, indeed, read one and not put together the parallels with the other. In the end, I chose to interleave them using different chapters to signpost which story and thus which country we were in at any one time. From a reader's perspective, this provides a much smoother read, but it was tough to keep each one in mind and have the parallels showing through at the right time. Further difficulties raised were that each story was progressing towards the same end, Christmas. This meant the tension needed to be raised within each story around the same time. Lastly, eventually, I made the decision to write each story separately. Then towards the end, I copied and pasted them into chapters only to rewrite the ending based upon where each story had ended. It was so challenging in so many ways. I still have copious notes, plus several blogs and a few podcast episodes that evidence this challenge. It took me about eight intense months to rewrite it. And I'm not joking or being dramatic about the intensity either. So much so that towards the end of the story, I began losing myself within it and required the help of another writer who I'd sort of employed to hold me accountable to finish it by the deadline I'd created. When I say employed, no money was exchanged. It was more of a, I can't allow myself to get this far and not finish it, even though it would be great to stop giving it all my everything right now kind of time. At the end, I was utterly exhausted and recorded several podcast episodes of the versatile writer talking of the feelings I was left with. Feelings of exhaustion, dopamine hits, love, literal love for specific characters and enduring that feeling of loss or bereavement when the story was over. Dramatic, sure, and it ought to be too. Who'd buy a novel if the author didn't themselves believe the characters were real people? And all those feelings have to go somewhere. If there's no real person at the end of the story, as a writer, I'm left with a wanting and needing more dopamine hits and not getting them. It's sort of a going cold turkey kind of feeling afterwards, especially with romantic stories. 
If a writer ever tells you they don't feel anything for the characters, I'd say they were either fibbing or else didn't write the story to the best of their ability. Rarely have I ever written a novel that I didn't fall for at least one character. And by fall, I mean crush on, feel romantic about, even love them. Think about it. You spend a huge amount of your day and night thinking of them, building a life for them, building them to feel like real, genuine people, put them in impossible situations, only to have to get them out of them again, and secure either a happy ever after, or a happy for now, or even a sad ending. I'm not into sad endings, there's enough of that in real life, though I can handle a bittersweet one. But this one had to be a happy ever after, or a happy for now for it to work. So that's the structure, and the double timelines and storylines. What about the characters? Well, as I mentioned at the start, I had two casts of hero-heroine, a mentor, a shapeshifter come baddie, and a guardian. Upon reading my Vita responses, I learned that their interpretation of those roles was that in one cast I had a baddie as a woman, and in the other a man. And I think this was my subconscious working, rather than intention. But as my Vita said, it was a nice balance. Also, in the interests of balance, and to simplify the story... I had one good person and one bad person in specific scenes. This was intentional and showed that for every one thing the good person did, the bad person did something to scupper the mindset of one of the main characters. The timeline was the last thing that needed attention. As previously mentioned, getting all the chapters to interleave the two stories was indeed one of the biggest literary challenges I've ever faced. Sure, it's easy after the event to say, Yeah, put all of them in that story there and all of the others there. But until it's done, you've got a bunch of chapters and two stories all vying for their own space on the page. Both timelines have a conflict at the start. Then while one moves slowly towards the climax, the other appears to jump from conflict to conflict to conflict. The smoother story reaches a happy, light-hearted and hopeful climax, while the bumpy one endures sadness, happiness, bereavement, then hope. I've also tried to make one of the romances a slow burn rather than the add flames here approach many romance writers go for. This was because one set of characters are a more realistic fit for a British couple, possibly a little more reserved and even quirky, whereas the American couple provide intrigue, rawness and an eventual sexual encounter. Before anybody jumps on me here, that's not to say all Brits are reserved and all Americans are roguish. It's to make clear that these specific characters have aligned with the personalities I've given them. This also goes for the kind of language they'd used. Lastly, I want to give a mention to the baddies come shapeshifters here, Jack and Ruth. In both situations, the baddies provide a few of the plot devices, but both characters go on to have complete character development themselves. Ruth begins the whole story and goes on to have her own presence be shown through other characters' reactions. She ends up being sacked and sued by way of taking her bow in this story's timeline. Jack, the other baddie come shapeshifter, has their actions become a plot device and is not even met by the reader until halfway through the novel and by then it's for a long conversation and some sex. The sex is suggested rather than explicit and again the other character's reaction to it is the main takeaway here. My reasons for treating the character this way, bringing them in late, was deliberate. I wanted the reader to see what effects his decisions had on Katie and indeed Drew and Cheryl and how Katie came to believe he was the man for her. And I wanted to show that through her mindset and her life decisions. Bringing Jack in much later 
and having this long conversation and sex scene means everything the reader knows about him before they meet him makes them dislike him already. It manipulates the reader into a prejudgment, a preconception of what the man is like, what he's capable of. Anybody who reads Jack and likes him needs to rethink their own mindset. That said, what's to say I write a prequel about Jack's life growing up? That might be an interesting read, learning about why he is like he is. And the same for Ruth. Both these characters share one thing. Behaviour. Bad behaviour at that. Both of them have learned that their behaviour has been accepted rather than rejected over the years. And this acceptance has reinforced that they believe they can do and say whatever they want and get away with it. Nobody says no because they'd make life difficult for the other person. They are both bullies. Sociopathic bullies at that. A while ago, I talked about research on the versatile writer and I mentioned that I'd completed some diplomas in psychology through continued professional development. The way that this psychology diploma assisted my creation of both Jack and Ruth was by learning how sociopaths' minds work. This, in turn, helped me craft two people for whom the word no is deemed not to apply. We've all known people like this, and the more they get into your head, the worse they make your life. There is no learning from their mistakes because they had no clue they've made any mistakes. They don't make mistakes, in fact. They see themselves as perfect, yet both lead a trail of decisions that create a living hell for others around them. These characters are the most interesting to work with from a psychological point of view because they create plot devices, yet still have lives of their own. Analysing the levels of a novel gives closure to the creation of it. Looking at each of the parts from one angle, then looking at them again from another and acknowledging how they make the whole means you've really given the whole thing reasons to exist. So this whole novel and everything that makes it come alive has earned its place on the page. You can see why writers are exhausted after writing a novel, can't you? Right, I think I've covered everything I wanted to. If you have any questions or want to discuss any of this analysis further, indeed with your own story, I'd love to see you on my podcast group on Facebook. The link is in the show notes or just type in the Versatile Writer podcast group on Facebook and take it from there. Thank you for listening to this episode. I do hope you buy the book and leave a positive review, even if you listen to the end of this episode with all its spoilers. If you're anything like me, spoilers help to make the read even better. I love knowing where the story's going, the backstories to the characters, how they got to be created and how the whole thing got to be where it is. I do realise I'm in a minority though. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Versatile Writer on the topic of story analysis.